You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. In this podcast, we hear George Snayman speaking to Westside King's Church in 2009. Good morning. I need something to hide behind. So. <laughs> it's a, a huge privilege for me to be here again. Thank you, Chris. Every time I come uh, to Westside, I think it will be easier, but it becomes harder. And um, I think the part that is very precious and easy for me is to meet all the wonderful people that already came out to Africa and played such a huge role in, in the history of Hands at Work and what they are doing in Africa. Special greetings from Lynn and Jamie and uh, Dave and Marilyn. That's two couples that are currently doing amazing work in Africa from Westside. Of course, Westside played historically a huge role in Hands at Work right from the beginning. And um, significant contributions in countries like um, Democratic Republic of Congo. We had men already from this church uh, flying to the Congo and building schools there for children. who had absolutely no opportunity for education. Zambia, a number of teams from this church were involved in Zambia and in South Africa. They were involved from training volunteers to feeding points to building schools. So Westside played a huge role in our history. Many young, tender-aged Westsiders became parental role models to children who have got no adults to care for them and to teach them and to help them. And they set a standard for many other international volunteers, people that come and work with Hands at Work, on how to do it. And, and just a, a prime example to many people. Since Paul Day, many years ago, made a commitment that Westside is passionate about the fact that we want to reach uh, 100,000 to start with. Children in Africa with no hope. Numbers means nothing because it will be done one by one. But we say 100,000 because we want to remind ourselves daily that it's a crisis that we're dealing with. But Hans is also very proud that so many West Side volunteers came home with a deep passion and understanding of justice, love in action what it means to be a, a Christian in the 21st century. Often as I have exit interviews with the volunteers that leave, I'm just amazed to see in a short time span what the impact God and Africa had on these young people. And I know that when they come back, that they're going to cause trouble. <laughs> they're never going to be same. They're going to be spoiled for life. It was just a short time that I've been here now already, those young people that I met and more mature people. It's just incredible to see how that fire is still building in their hearts. And uh, it humbles us that we can be part of Westside in doing that. And since Paul Day made that commitment to this day, we can truly say that Westside has outdone themselves and left a huge fingerprint in Africa and in many individual lives. Today we celebrate Mother's Day. 
My mother was a youth intercessor. She was on a deathbed exactly a year ago. The doctors gave her six weeks. And all of us went into serious prayer and fasting. Well, to be honest, there was a bit of a hidden motive there because my mother is a big intercessor for us and we just couldn't face what's coming without her praying for us. So we prayed day and night and God touched her and he healed her completely from leukemia. It's a year ago and she's healthy and she practiced what I preach. And, and so it's with a tender heart that I think today of mothers. You know, it's a, a big... If you had a mother in your life that played a big role, you understand what it is for people who don't have that opportunity. December last year, I went to Senegal and West Africa, and I had an incredible opportunity to go to an island called Korea, and that island left a mark in my life forever. And I want to quickly share with you what happened there. Small, insignificant island, nothing spectacular about it, apart from this big fort that's been built there, on that island and as I heard about the history and it unfolded to me as I spent time there I just realized that this is one of the defining moments that God has put in my life to be there for that time because I discovered that this island was the launching pad of where all the slaves from Africa were dispatched into North American Europe so typically you would have raiding parties who would just raid villages. They would take the people, ship them to the island, and they had three massive dungeons there, pitch dark, no air, no ventilation. Um, and they would throw all the men in one, all the women and all the children. They would separate families immediately. They would raid them in the morning. By that evening they would be separated. And they would keep them on average for about three months in those dungeons. And then they would take that families and they would ship them out. And they had a standard policy that they would never ship a husband, a wife, and their children to the same continent. They would willfully, deliberately separate them. You know, as I sat in that dungeon where the men were kept and I was trying to, to comprehend, I was trying to to imagine myself, trying to understand how it must have felt to sit there, not knowing where your wife is, not knowing where your children are. The very same people that you stayed with last night just ripped right out of your hands, and you start hearing the rumors that soon you will go through what they would call the door of no return. That was physically that door, as you see there. And the day when you walk through that door, at the end of that door, when you stand there, it's just a cliff down into the, eye, into the ocean. And the, the boats would come right up to there and they would put you on that boat and they will take you out to a foreign continent never to see your family again. That's history. Very, very sad history. But that's History. And we know that there were only a couple of people that stood up because they understood the times and they said, this is injustice. Surely I cannot stand for this. But today, we know that there are still many families that are separated. 
maybe not through slavery, but through the AIDS pandemic. And you know, there were people that stood for justice because at that very same time that many people were shipped out from that island, there was one particular historical moment that took place. It's just an excellent example of people that stood for justice, people that rose above their circumstances and what the status quo was, people that said, I will draw a line. My life is short, but it will matter. It will count and I will stand for what is right. So at the same time that all these slaves were shipped out in an island, in a harbor in England, there was a boat leaving the English harbor and there was a small community standing there and it was a Moravian community about the size of hands at work community at the moment. And on that boat were three young men of 19 years old. They sold themselves as slaves to reach those men that were separated, to reach those children that were separated, and to bring them the good news of Christ. That is not just giving a story of one day after you've died that you can go to heaven, but it bring a message of hope for now. That said, I cannot bring your family back to you, but I am prepared to come to you. I am prepared to say, I will spend myself on behalf of you. Why? Not because I want to, not because I'm uh, a hero, because somehow I understand in my heart that someone else left the heavens. There was a time, there was a moment in time that someone left the heavens to come down to a stinky manger because of injustice, because of separation. And if you can understand that and grasp that, then the step that you will take will be so insignificantly small that you will do it with the greatest joy in your life. As the Moravians rose to that occasion, and there were mothers that bid farewell to their children, watching them going out on a boat, never to see them again, they somehow understood That they are doing something here that will have eternal understanding and value. Today, I think the world is calling again for mothers and for fathers who will stand at the harvest and release him. Just before I came here, I read the statistics in Swaziland. In the year 2000, the average age of a mother in Swaziland was 62. In 2009, the average age of a mother or life expectancy, I beg your pardon, life expectancy, in Swaziland is 32 years. I've just received reports in the last month how scores of children are fleeing across the Swaziland borders to go and sleep in the bushes outside the rural villages in South Africa, hoping that somebody will leave some food for them. Recently, I went to Zimbabwe. In fact, just before I came here, I was in Zimbabwe. I met a grandmother, Angus, and a young girl with a yellow hat, seven years old. Her name is Valicia. 
she wears all the clothes that she possesses every day because she cannot leave anything in that one little room where they stay because it will surely be stolen. Grandmother looking after 17 orphans, completely blinded. With this girl of seven years, there she is sitting on the right-hand side with a yellow hat. Sitting in that night with them in that room and the water just coming down in that slum area and it's just coming through the roof and watching this woman now, she can hardly see her hand in front of her face. Just a score of children. The one question that I asked God years and years before that, when I walked through Africa, again came back into my mind. Are there still enough people in this world that still care enough that that is not necessary? Can I leave a message to Valicia, seven years old, and say to her, Valicia, I'm a prisoner of hope. I believe that there is a future for you. I believe that there are still enough good people that's going to do what is just and right. I met with Esther, 79 years old. Deep rural, had to walk right into the mountains to get to her heart. And as I sat with her and the co-workers from Zimbabwe, she shared with us that this is the third year they had a crop failure. She had seven children, all seven died. We're looking after all the grandchildren. We're sitting in that hut and just that absolute feeling of hopelessness. What hope could I bring to Esther? Sharing to her the story about Esther. Sharing a story against all odds that God can do something. I didn't have the courage to even tell her that. But as the volunteers wanted us to leave the hut, I just said, I refuse to leave. I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave. I, I went in a wrestle with God. I said, God, I will leave this hut when you speak. Until you speak, I'm not leaving. And Emily, some of you might know Emily, a Zimbabwean who's lost most of her family. She's a volunteer working with us. She actually got up and she sat next to Esther and she held Esther in her arms. And for the first time in many years, Esther broke open. And for the next 20 minutes, Esther just wept and wept. And she started sharing with us what she went through in the last few years. Her favorite grandson, when he was 17, they were so desperate for food that he left where they stayed to walk to the capital city in Zimbabwe called Harare. Never to return. A grandmother, a mother who's lost all her children. You know what the interesting part about this for me is that I discovered this year more than ever. That even though that that's our passion and that's what I believe God is stirring us and challenging us to do, I realize that first and foremost, 
we as hands at work and you as wayside and whoever must be a family. It is only when we come together as a family and we start putting down core values where we care for each other and where we understood that our Savior went from there to there. We understand what it means to have an emblem of an upside-down crown. We understand what it means if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to receive, you've got to give. We understand that the world has deceived us. Telling us the more you can get, the happier you be. If the truth is, it's only as you give that you are free. It's only when we become a family and we take a baby step towards that. That God can give us a passion to reach out. A community that do not have a single passion to reach out will never survive. It is impossible. First and foremost, you must be a community. You must love. You must serve. You must be the least. This is language that I'm speaking in a, in a North American country in the year 2009, where I understand that your, that your rights and being an individual has peaked higher than ever before in history. I want to say to you, my friends, that's the very thing that's separating you from one of the most fundamental gifts that's been given to you. And that is to belong. That is to be part of something that's bigger than you. That's to say, I'm going to do that. I have been created to be a blessing. I've been blessed to bless. It's only when you overstep that line sometime. It's only when you get to that place where you break through that threshold that say, you cannot do that. You cannot give what is yours. Surely there's not an expectation on you. It's only when that deception is broken that we really discover what freedom means. I was in Australia in the beginning of this year when that fire broke out. In fact, I was in the very village where, in Lakeview where they had the fire. That was a church where I had to go and speak. And it was incredible. It was incredible for me to speak to people that I know personally that served in Africa. Bronwyn, the worship leader, that stood in their house, busy making supper, and her son came running. That fire hit that village at 380 kilometers an hour. There were fireballs going through the air, hitting that city, that village. And her son looked outside the bedroom and he saw the fire was right there. And he ran into the kitchen, he grabbed his mother and they jumped out. Two minutes later, their house was destroyed into ashes. They were in their car and they drove through the fire. It was pitch dark, smoke, trees falling. They watched people burning to death right in front of them. They grabbed one man and threw him in the car as he was burning. Two days later, I met with them. I sat in that car. Bronwyn took me into the car. She said to me, George, come and smell this car. I sat in the car, and the car still smelled of burnt people and, and smoke. And the tears were pouring down Bronwyn's face. And she said to me, George, I'm free. 
I'm free. For the first time in my life, I realized that the chain of oppression that held me in my family to always have more, to always gather more, to always take more, to always demand more, is broken. By God's incredible grace, he saved me and my son and her husband in minutes. She looked back and she said, it was the biggest gift God could have ever given us. For everything that we owed burned in front of our eyes. I went back to their house. I stood there with them. You can't believe. I mean, I took furniture, features, everything. There's nothing. It's ash. And suddenly, that little church where I had to go and speak on a Sunday had a service every single day. And I would stand there and they would say, George, you know what pain is. You know what death is. They lost 10 families in that, commu- in that church. Tell us what life was about. Tell us where we are. Why? And we could start all over again. Of course. May God forbid that that ever happened to any of us. But my friends, what is life about? Where is your fingerprint? Where's my fingerprint? What do I live for? What's important for me? I want to say to you today about family. That a family, a Christian family, a good family is defined by one thing and one thing alone. It's defined by the love of God and of others. God teaches us to be a family. He calls us together and says to us, this is your brother. This is your mother. As you love them, you love me. And as you love me, you love them. We are together the children of God. We are together the family that God has made. And when we love others, and in that love nurture others and forgive others, when we respect and honor others and help them with their burdens, when we walk, we walk humbly with others and we worship with others. If we do that, friends, we have everything. That we could desire. I believe out of this massive tragedy. That's happening in Africa. There's a message of hope. There's a message that God is saying. Life. Is about hope. It's about relationships. It's about Felicia. It's about that old grandmother who lost her seven children and her favorite grandson. It's about us sharing in that pain and bringing hope. Embrace your family. Love your family. And God will take care of the rest. We look now back at that history of slavery and we judge that history. 
if the Lord tarries, and our children will look back to our history, what will they say about us? As a white South African, my children called me in and they spoke to me and said, Dad, tell us about it. Where were you when injustice took place at that level? Where were you? And that's something I have to live with the rest of my life. I want to be like the Moravians. I want to read the signs of the time and I want to rise up against the pathetic status quo that my Joneses said who lives next to me. And I want to say, God, I'm an ordinary person, no exceptional gifts, but I've got one thing, I've got a unique fingerprint and I'm going to leave it in as many hearts as I can because that's the one thing I can leave behind. Whenever I go, that there will be a young woman one day who will be a mother who loves. She might be a politician. She might, I don't care. But she will say that there was a time that somebody has placed the fingerprint of my life. Where are you going to leave your fingerprint? Let's pray. Father, I want you to leave your fingerprint in my heart every day. I want you to use my feet and my hands. What is mine, Lord, I want you to use. I want you to help me to confront the fears that I have every day about insecurity, about what is going to happen to me one day. And that I will consider that very carefully. I want to bless Westside this morning. And I want to thank you for them, Lord. I want to pray that your peace and your presence will dwell in Westside. And that their fingerprints will continue to grow as it is in Africa. And that people will use that as an example one day. And say there was this church. And that's what they did. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org <laughs>